Welcome back to the Balancing Act podcast. I'm Andy Tempty. On the Balancing Act, we talk to business leaders and industry experts to explore the balancing acts we play in our professional lives and learn about the events that put rocket boosters behind their career success. Today, we have Holly Garner joining us. Holly is Vice President of New Channels and Head of Workforce at Junior Achievement USA. Holly's an ed tech entrepreneur and wait for it, a fellow graduate of the University of Iowa. Go Hawks and welcome to the show, Holly. Thanks, Andy. Looking forward to chatting. You could just hear all of Kinnick Stadium, 70,000 strong behind us there, couldn't you? Well, the wave. Have you been there? Have you been to Kinnick when they've done the the first quarter wave? Oh, Oh, absolutely. Best new tradition in sports. Yes, uh, uh, my wife Linda and I will be in Madison, Wisconsin uh, this weekend taking in the Iowa-Wisconsin game. Uh, So we'll be in black and gold in a sea of red and white. Well, also near and dear to my heart because I actually signed my letter of intent to go to Wisconsin first before I ended up transferring back first to Northern Iowa and then to Iowa. So uh, that's near and dear to my heart, too. Awesome. Well, uh, let's just keep going with that. Uh, Before we really get started, tell our listeners your story, Holly. Yeah. So like you said, I'm an an Iowa kid, grew up in small town, Iowa, Northeast Iowa, Uh, went to, played sports. That was a big part of my sort of uh, youth experience. Um, Went to the, actually first signed a letter of intent to go to the University of Wisconsin to play softball, kind of decided against that before I even left the dorms the first day I moved in, transferred back to Northern Iowa, which is um, where I wanted to go and play basketball. There was a coaching transition that happened in that phase. And so I actually ended up not playing, which was okay with me. And I started down the student government path and started on sort sort of more on the academic side of pursuits. And so undergrad at Northern Iowa in finance, uh, did the CFA program, uh, which I believe you uh, know well, um, did the Schweizer yeah. study materials and uh, was going down that path, um, but ultimately ended up um, being more interested in thinking about uh, education, post-secondary education was interesting to me. And so uh, made kind of a, a career transition from the investment banking world to the education side, um, got a master's degree in post-secondary education and program evaluation, went on and did my MBA at the University of Iowa. Um, Of note, I actually really wanted to get into the higher ed program. Um, There was a guy there by the name of Ernie Pascarella who taught how college affects students. And I read that book on the side just as like an interesting sort of, you know, beach read. And I really wanted to do that program and I didn't get in and I was devastated. Um, But I had, I was working at Pearson at the time and um, Pearson employs a lot of psychometricians. There was a good cohort of peers and mentors there that were like, okay, it's okay. You didn't get into higher ed. Here's this other program that you can think about. And so sort of went that route. And I was at Pearson for most of my, um, sort of my, my, uh, grown, growing up, uh, the first 10 years of my really professional career were at Pearson, um, which was fantastic, except for, I realized they're like, in order to like the people who were at the decision-making table, a lot of them happened to be psychometricians. Um, and I was really much more interested on the business side. Like I understood the importance of that for the world that we were in, but I really loved the commercial models. I love thinking about how we could do things that made money so we could stay in business. And 
um, it, it was just, it became clear to me that I was being sort of pulled towards sort of the business side. Um, while I was at Pearson, I, um, there was this, we were, I had partnerships and I was trying to sell something into partnerships and it was just far too expensive and far too difficult. And I was like, there's gotta be a better way. And so I actually, um, I made a decision to leave Pearson. I separated my IP. Um, we had a couple patents sort of going through the process at the time, separated my IP and worked at a company that was unrelated to what I was doing and was able to then focus on uh, being an entrepreneur and, and building software that ultimately um, ended up transferring to uh, the company was called Pacific Metrics. They were the wholly owned subsidiary of ACT. And, um, and sort of that's sort of the way that I sort of the, the path that I took leaving sort of stable corporate type job and moving into entrepreneurship and, and going down that path instead. And so that led me Pearson, uh, ACT, uh, worked on my company. I went to Ascend, which is a, a large education company. It was about a $300 million business when I was there. I think it's over a billion now. Yeah. Um, and then uh, joined the University of Georgia, which was a fantastic place, um, super interesting work, really focused in Georgia, and then got a call from uh, Kaplan, got a, a, an, an email reach out on LinkedIn and said, hey, would you mind doing some consulting? And I was like, well, if you have time right now, I can talk. But And they, <laughs> and they did. Shripar um, Dottie was the person who reached out. So and that's when I joined Kaplan in it and spent really five wonderful years there and just recently joined Junior Achievement. So that's the, that's the career story. That's awesome. So what's the accelerant moment for you in your career? Uh, if you can pinpoint that for us, that'd be great. Yeah, I think, you know, um, I'm a, a first-generation college student. Um, I was a free lunch kid. And when I worked at Pearson, it was great. It was completely stable, right? It was a great job. It was close to my house. Iowa City is a lovely place to work. And when I really thought, I'm going to quit my job and go do this thing that I'm not totally sure, like, you know, there are days as an entrepreneur, you're brilliant, and there are days that you have sort of bankrupted your life. And I think um, I think at that point where I was like, okay, I, I believe in this enough to go do it. I know it will work. Like, cognitively, I knew this would work. Um, and I think just making that jump and, and going to do that and certainly having the, you know, support of my friends and family around me, um, made a big difference. But at that point it was like, okay, I'm headed down this path instead of sort of sticking to this path. And it was right. Decisions always have a way of working out. And so that, that really was the moment for me that it put me on a different trajectory. That's awesome. Uh, you had quite the career journey, uh, Pearson, ACT, uh, an entrepreneurial venture, Kaplan, JA. Tell us more about junior achievement, why that's important to you and what the key objectives you hope to accomplish there. Yeah, I, I love JA. I started, so when I was at Kaplan, I was in charge of partnerships, right? And we were we sort of identified JA as this interesting organization. They have like these incredible tentacles across the U.S. They have 105 areas. They've been around for 80 years. They've served 80 million people nominated for a Nobel Peace Prize twice. Like it was like this incredible thing. And we were looking at it like they're in this space. We have to be able to help them. And as I just dove in more and more and, and met with the JE team more and more, it, it just became like, gosh, they have so much opportunity. And so, um, so JA, as I said, it's, it's, it's a not-for-profit, which is very different from the places that I've been at before. So there's a learning curve there, but, you know, JA has really made a decision to move into this, the 
sort of the post the post high school space. So traditionally, J is is known as a K, as a K twelve organization. Most people uh, that know about J have some recollection of going in somewhere and taking part in an experience, BizTown, or going through simulations or or being a volunteer. So J has the great benefit of being sort of loosely written into the Office of Comptroller of the Currency language in terms of if you are a financial institution and you provide volunteer support, it's it sort of reflected in your Community Reinvestment Act credits. And so they have this wonderful, robust machine that keeps, you know, keeps uh, students going through it. And then those students come back as volunteers. And it's just this incredible ecosystem. And the, the three things that are, you know, most interesting that they focus on are um, their three pillars are financial literacy, entrepreneurship, and career readiness. And so, um, you know, with my background in post-secondary and thinking about, I've, I've always been very thoughtful about thinking about like my path to college and how that's different than other people's path, even though I was first generation, low SES, you know, minority students, students of color, like it's such a different path for everyone. And so it's always intrigued me. And I think junior achievement has just an incredible right to play in this space. Um, they're committed for all the right reasons. They're mission, mission driven. It's just, um, it couldn't, it, anyway, couldn't be a lovelier organization. The, what I'm really focused on is, is leading the 18 to 25 strategy. Like how do we enter this new space? How do we execute against a thoughtful and skilled entry? Um, what are the things that are important to our areas? How do we support them? How do we put tools and things in their hands that they can use to grow their own areas? So we're a, we're a federated model, and um, you know, JAUSA sort of serves for the so the for the local areas. And so I spend most of my time thinking about how to how to do that in service of this eighteen to twenty five population. And mostly uh, for the last four months, I've been focused on sort of defining the strategy, and I can sort of sum it up. Um, we know that like there's this wave of skills-based hiring, right? We know there's a wave about to crest. We know 18 states have eliminated degree requirements. We know credentialing is happening at the funded level at so many states. And yet we have all these students who at 18 don't really know what should be next for them. Right. Um, you know, the traditional degree, there's an, sort of an identity crisis of the traditional, traditional degree. I think higher ed is on its heels a little bit, coming back from COVID, still trying to figure out just I just listened to actually um, there was a, a podcast in New York Times. I think it, I just remember telling someone it was like the 19th of uh, September or something. But there's this incredible statistic that 64% of a particular population in the U.S. no longer believes college is the best choice for their students, for their kids. Like, what? Yeah. That, that shouldn't, you know. So, so I think about our job here as how do I help students make, make the next best decision for themselves, what that, whatever that decision might be. And for some students, it might be college. And for some students, it might be a, a, tradi- a less traditional route, more of an alternative pathway. But helping to make those available and helping to make those, um, helping to those students to understand what decisions they're making uh, as they do it, um, I think that's really critical. And so that's, that's what we're focused on. How do we help these young adults make good decisions and do it through the pillars of credentialing, uh, coaching, so coaching is, is one of the big things that we'll be uh, talking about and also connecting them to uh, what I would call pre-resume work experiences. Well, I, I'm thrilled to, to hear that. And hopefully our listeners are thrilled to hear that as well, because 
That's exactly uh, what we need. You know, we're talking about a reskilling revolution uh, globally. We're talking about reskilling, upskilling a billion people over the next 10 years. Tremendous shifts in demographics. The, the statistic that you outlined of the belief and trust in traditional higher education is uh, is at uh, certainly a next uh, a, a breaking point here. There's going to be something that comes next, and all most of the challenges that we have with work readiness, uh, the productive of uh, the employee base, that could all be traced back into uh, middle schools, high schools. And, and so for JA to start connecting those dots from uh, our, our secondary school systems into those first years of the world of work, uh, I, I, th again, just that 70,000 uh, people in Kinnick Stadium all standing up cheering at the same time, that's the... Mm -hmm. That's what we should be hearing right now. Yeah, you're right. The background noise is everyone cheering. Yeah, it, it really is. That's happening and that's going to continue to happen. And, you know, I think we're at a, a unique, like everyone, every year is a unique inflection point, but it really is unique. Like we haven't ever been in a place where 64% of a population thought college wasn't a good choice. We've never been in a place where um, skills-based hiring was actually happening at scale, that the companies that are supporting it are starting to do it. The big employers, not a ton, but you know, employers are starting to figure out what that means for them too. And so it really is like, it's, it's happening and going to happen and, and will continue to happen. So I think it's yeah. thrilling for the two thirds of Americans that don't have a, have some college, but no high school degree or no um, college degree. So it really opens up opportunity. Well, before we cut to commercial break, I, I want to ask you a balancing act question. Uh, you've got such an interesting background, formal training in education, measurement and assessment and uh, and your, but your work experiences lean heavily toward business development and partnerships. Uh, let's focus on the commercial uh, side, the business development side of thing things. What's the most important balancing act that an education-focused sales professional has to play as they're working uh, in higher ed, uh, K-12, working with prospective clients? Yeah, you know, I wish I would have learned this sooner, but I, I will say I have, uh, I worked, when I was at Kaplan, I worked with the, a, a great strategy guy named Kumar Rajneesh. Yep. And um it was hard for me at first because I didn't know anything about that side of the business. And it, we were coming together and I was like, I know I'm smart. I'm just don't, I'm stumped on like where we need to go or what's strategic or how do we compile our assets together? And um, Kumar was, was kind and patient, but also uh, um, unrelenting on, I need you to think bigger. Like, I need you to think about like, please don't come to me with a $5 million idea anymore. Like, I need you to come back at $25 million, right? I need you to think about this. Like, this isn't about sort of the little things that we do to sort of move, like, incrementally move the needle. Like, what's the next big thing and how do you do that? And so I think that that's challenging. The, the balance there is um, when you're working with customers, like, you want to be able to think big. But if you also own delivery, you start to hedge because you start right. thinking about, like, oh gosh, I'm going to have to actually do this. And as much as I'd like to think big, I know the limitations we have here. I know where we're going to meet constraints or bottlenecks and like that we're not going to be able to do that or 
so-and-so is going to hate that idea and I'm never going to be able to get it past them. And so you start to be sort of constrained by the operational issues. And I think you just, it, it sort of diffuse or like dampers your ability to think big. And so I've thought about that there, there, throughout everything that I, you know, think about at JA, which JA is a lovely scale, right? So it's easier to think big, but I do have to catch myself and make sure I'm not like, well, I'm going to have to deliver against that. So let's think about how, how I can make that a little easier. I think that's a real challenge for people in partnership roles. Yeah. It, well, it, it's it's an important thing to be thinking about. How are we going to deliver this? But to allow, I, I've seen it happen over and over again, where that just paralyzes uh, an organization. And you're absolutely right. The, this, this kind of small incremental thinking uh, takes over and it can really drag uh, an organization down. Uh, Holly, we're going to take a really short commercial break and we'll be right back. Hi, I'm Andy Tempty. Over the past 35 years, I've learned a lot about business leadership and I'd like to share those lessons with you. Ask yourself, how do I create an effective, sustainable management operating system? How do I design smooth workflows to better serve the customer? How do I balance organizational trust with accountability the Balanced Business describes the practical, step-by-step -step process you need to answer these questions. Order your copy today, wherever books are sold. And we're back with Holly Garner talking about the world of workforce development, sales, educational measurement, and testing. Holly, historically, the college degree has been held up as the primary path into the workforce, as we've been talking about, uh, the primary path that leads to more economic success for an individual and their family. With a need to reskill a billion people over the next 10 years, and with all the demographics that are leading to significant talent shortages, validated alternative pathways into the world of work are necessary. So what's happening at JA to open more doors, to create these alternative pathways uh, for the next generation of our workforce? Yeah, that's, it's a fantastic question. I think about this all the time. Like on one hand, I think about, right, I have a master's degree in post-secondary education and think about how universities and colleges run. And, and really, there's a ton of research to suggest that people who go to college, one, earn more, but two, also are happier, right? There's been some recent research that's really interesting. But on the flip side, we have a trillion dollar debt crisis in this country. Higher education is unaffordable. And for some people, it's not the right decision. And so like, I think a lot about balancing that, like, how do we continue to maintain these pathways, these traditional pathways, and make sure that everyone knows they're useful and valuable, but also create these alternatives that are, it's not either, I think Brandon Bustide says this in his, in his post on LinkedIn, it's not one or the other, it's both and, right? Like, how do we continue to uh, build education um, so that you get these alternative skills and pathways as, as a part of that formal education? And so, um, at Junior Achievement, you know, we think about credentialing and alternative routes against the context of also those pre-resume experiences. So there's a wonderful, um, the Center for Education and Workforce at Georgetown, it's uh, the An Anthony Carnavali runs it. They do a great job sort of putting out research. Um, one of the things that I read that was sort of an aha moment was that um, 
work experiences equal career readiness. And that for people who are stably employed around the age of 22, and stable employment meaning something like nine months of the same job, um, those that tends to correlate highly with economic mobility by the, at the age of 30. So if you look at how important these sort of early initial experiences are as they relate to economic stability and economic mobility at a young, you know, at a relatively young age, the age of 30, like we have to think about providing those experiences. How do we get, you know, how do we expose students who don't have a, prof- a professional path into, you know, a job shadow, a, a, just a conversation with a professional about what goes on at their company and giving them exposure about internships, pre-apprenticeships, pre-internships, internships, apprenticeships, temporary, seasonal, part-time, full-time, subsidized, unsubsidized. Like, how do we think about all those work experiences and giving them sort of giving students the ability then to then think about what is, I really loved this, or this, my aptitude seems to be this. How do I help them then move into that? And so junior achievement, we think about those work experiences and we think about creating or helping support those what we're calling now alternative pathways, non de- non degree seeking pathways, but still education. How do we think about supporting those and making the most in demand careers available to to the students that that we serve in the areas that we serve? Um, you know, I think Lightcast uh, Lightcast is the company that's it was MZ Burning Glass and and spun off to Lightcast, like. That data source, just being able to, I, I just love looking and say, oh, look, there's 30,000 candidates they're looking for in this particular zip code for this particular thing. And I think we have such a, an opportunity, the way that data has evolved, obviously, large language uh, models are, you know, BARD or ChatGPT or whichever one you use, like data is easier to synthesize and get at. And so it just is, it's such a unique moment. And I think Junior Achievement has, um the, the right and the expectation to play in this space. And I think that thinking about those skills, thinking about how we coach students, human coaching, right? Not just all go use a chat GPT function, just but human coaching, using our volunteers. Like it's just this unique sort of right to play and right to win in this space. And I think that, um, I think we'll see the fruits of that labor over the next, over the next five years. Yeah, I definitely agree that we need the junior achievements of the world, the Boys and Girls Clubs of America, uh, other organizations like this to come in and help uh, our K-12 systems see uh, through the fog of uh, what's happening in the workforce development space and really take a leadership role in helping students uh, see uh, pathways to the future. I know, mm-hmm. you know, from my experience back, this this is now 40 years ago, uh, it was it was even then really, really hard to understand where the jobs are, what's out there, what's available. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, and, and it, it's 40 years later and it's still really, really hard families all across the country. They don't know about, uh, yeah. you know, formerly burning glass. They don't know about these resources. Yeah. Uh, so getting them in the forefront is going to be great, Holly. You know, and I've seen recently a couple um, House legislative bills where career counseling was for high schools, right? Where they're asking someone to come in and say, we know our degree-seeking students or those that have made the decision to go to college, like we have a pretty clear pathway for them or a pretty clear learning 
path for them to understand what they're doing. But some of these, you know, there's all these other sort of, you know, credentialing and opportunities. And there's, you know, they're starting to pick up funding at the state level. They're making, you know, broader investments. And so um, thinking about, like, I just think that's even another piece of evidence that we're, we're clearly moving in this direction and have the, sort of our head of the wave. Yeah. So uh want to tap, as we start to close out the show, I want to tap into your assessment expertise. Uh, I think it's clear to our listeners that I believe that a validated skills portfolio that's augmented by industry recognized credentials should become a viable alternative pathway into the world of work. The tricky part, as we were talking about before the show, is assessment. How do you prove that you know how to do something. Uh, from your perspective, what role will assessment play in creating reliable signals of workplace competencies for employers as it relates to non-degree skills portfolios? Yeah, so I was just at a conference in DC. We're talking about privacy enhancing technologies and learner, learner education records. And like this whole conversation, one of the things that I think is the most interesting is, again, the large language models, how we're thinking about using ChatGPT and, and BARD and just the ability to do this data synthesis much more quickly. Um, automated equating tools, I think, are going to be really interesting. So basically, you look at, so I'll use a K-12 example, but you look at like Common Core, right? Largely speaking, there's most states sort of adhere to the, around the same standards, right? In math and ELA, at least. Um, and for those states that don't or choose their own path, like often you're left saying, well, does this count to this? Is this the same thing? And you're trying to make determinations about the equitability of these two standards. And so um, there's fantastic work around automated equating tools. And I think AI models in terms of helping to understand and synthesize those data just are going to make it easier. So when we think about skills-based hiring, here's the skill subset. Here's another skill subset or some standards that we want to equate. Let's Let's let technology help us figure it out as opposed to putting it back in the hands of whoever needs to do it from a content expert standpoint. So I think that will help. I think that will help actually expedite um, understanding the, all the different credentials and all the different skills and what they actually mean. It's going to take a long time, though, that there's just so many. There's, there's a lot out there and a lot to think about. So I think it's going to be it's going to be a little slow moving. But I think that will be um, one of the things that we'll see being really useful. And then I think. Just in general, if you think about assessment, it, like the, the ability, like a, a job task analysis and sort of the ability to um, measure against those criteria or those standards, what should be easier is when you're talking about skills-based hiring, it's, it's pretty in the box, right? Can you do this? Is it a project management skill? Is it this type of skill? So as companies get more sophisticated about hiring, they're going to be able to be more clear about the requirements. And those requirements will more easily get translated into those assessments that you know, that we put out there and say, well, you've got to be able to know and do this. And it's just going to make it an easier translation layer, I think, as we think about credentials and certificates. Yeah, uh, I've been thinking about, you know, skill gap analysis. You've you've got a team and I agree that employers really have to get their act together. And the place that they've got to get their act together is at 
the individual team and the mid manager uh, level where most of this stuff breaks down. Mm-hmm. We've got to provide the tools for a mid level manager to be able to look at their goals, where they're going, say, I need these kinds of skills in the future, be able to simultaneously look at their team and say, my team has these skills. Here's the gap. This is the learning and development we need to put in place to get from here to there. Uh, and I know a lot of people are working on that right now, uh, but but it, but please designers and all the really smart people that are working on that, think about the end user. Think about that mid-level manager who's just, a, they're a firefighter, they're an accidental manager. They they're just there to get stuff done. And if, if we don't activate this for them, we're, we're not going anywhere. Yeah, I totally agree. And, you know, I think some of that is starting. If you, if you look at like the ASU GSB cup or, or some of the companies that are getting funded, there's some really interesting ones that are in this space, right? They're attempting to distill a resume base, distill it down into skills, apply those skills to the jobs that you already have, and then look at that gap. So like, those are the, I'm thinking about investing. Those are those are the companies that I think have um, really the potential to help move the landscape. I haven't found one though that I think is like so much better than the others, but I suspect yeah. we'll start to see that. There's gonna be a lot of iterating and testing going on over the next uh, few years. Holly, uh, let's have some fun. I have one lightning round question for you. You have access to a time machine. I'm giving that to you right now. And you can send a message to an earlier version of Holly Garner. What's the message? What previous version of yourself do you send it to? I would send it right to me in the middle of uh, starting my own thing. Uh, the late nights, I actually had a um, like a wall board. I, I actually built every screen of the software that I developed. And I had every single screen on a white eight and a half by 11 sheet of paper. And I used a black Sharpie marker and I built out every single screen and every single field and what I was doing. And I think there were moments late at night where I was like, I don't, I'm not sure this is a great idea. And I think I would have said, just see your path out. Like, don't, don't worry. Don't, don't stress. Don't stay up till 3am making more screens. Um, you know, be confident. Like you've wrapped your head around this, you know what you're trying to do. Just move, move confidently ahead and know that sort of whatever happens, everything will be fine. That's awesome. Uh, Holly, final, final question. What's next for you? Yeah, you know, I love JA. I think it has such tremendous potential to just be at this space and to to really, like, the, the woven fabric of all the national not-for-profits and the, the work going on. Like, we have this incredible time to think about how we really move and execute against this. So, for the foreseeable future, you'll see my my LinkedIn post being mostly about uh, junior achievement and the work that we're doing there. Um, you know, you never know what comes up. I certainly uh, I do, I love the entrepreneurial space, and to the extent I have any extra time, I you know I would love to still think about being t- coupled to that world, either investing or or serving as an advisor. But not right now. Right now, my my plate is full thinking about the good work that junior achievement can do. Well, it's a wonderful thing to have your plate full with, and I'm very, very proud of the work that you and Junior Achievement are doing. Thank you so much for being on the show today, Holly. Wonderful to be here. Thanks so much, Andy. 
All right. Well, my name is Andy Tempty. This is the Balancing Act Podcast. You can find us on all the major podcast services as well as out on YouTube. Please like, subscribe, rate, and share. We are here creating a public good for learning and growth for the entire population. Have a great day. And this episode was produced by Nicholas Tempty. <laughs>